Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the leftist podcast dedicated to the reevaluation of your favorite crappy films. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. And we're coming to you from the far, far distant future uh, of the second decade of the 21st century. Ooh. Ooh, 2021, which is actually the third decade of the 21st century. But I know, who cares? But <laughs> that's not what we're told in this movie. <laughs> we're not told that in this movie. So, uh, folks, right on the heels of Pulp Month, we are bringing you uh, mm-hmm. Cyberpunk Month, actually. No. Uh, cyber- cyberpunk Week, Cyberpunk Day. <laughs> Just cyberpunk Day, that's it. Yeah. Cyberpunk Monday, guys. That's all you get. Um, this is uh, Johnny Mnemonic from 1995, uh, starring Keanu Reeves. Yeah, it's uh, it's an adaptation of um, the William Gibson short story, um, same title. Um, it's an expansion of the story for sure. They they change a fair amount, um, but it is probably one of the seminal, um, kind of somewhat underground but still mainstream movies that contributed to the 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 widespread um, appeal of cyberpunk. Um, it came right at the right time, um, combining that's that seminal very well-known um gibson material and it i think it paved the way for the matrix in a lot of ways yeah i mean you know there's definitely some stuff in this movie especially when they go into cyberspace that like reminds me of the exactly. matrix um and, and of course there's just like and, the way he dresses in this movie as well right i mean he looks yeah, like neo yeah. i mean well when he's like john anderson he, when he's like in his office job but and I mean, it, it is Keanu. There's, there's that connective tissue as well. Yes, it is. It is in fact Neo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is. And true. also, like, um, the look of the world is very similar to the look of like the real world in the Matrix. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But yeah, uh, Johnny Mnemonic. Um, it was directed by. Oh, this is a fascinating story. Uh, Robert Robert Longo. Yeah. So I never heard of this guy. Um, yeah. But I I was I was reading about this movie months ago actually it just like came up on i don't know some story i was reading some article and they were like yeah robert longo only made one movie uh it was johnny mnemonic and like he hated it and he hated the experience of making movies and he never made one again and i was like mm-hmm. what what happened there like <laughs> uh and he was uh, he was and is i guess i think he's still alive a uh, painter, mm-hmm. a sculptor, uh, kind of very much like a New York bohemian, you know, uh, type um, 70s, 80s, 90s guy. Um, yeah. He directed music videos for R.E.M. Um, he did the album cover for the album Tim by The Replacements, one of my favorite albums. Okay. Uh, he directed one episode of Tales from the Crypt called This'll Kill You, and that's also about like a virus um that is insane yeah it's he has a strange career he was in a band called robert longo's menthol wars um (laughs) he also has this terrible ponytail there's only one image of him on imdb he has like this gigantic (laughs) braided ponytail um yeah really strange career but um he made this movie he looks wild he kind of looks he has a little bit of a david lynch thing going on in one of the first um images that come up on on google anyway um but yeah just and also i i also looked up the replacements cover because i don't i don't know what the tim album cover looks like and this looks like a very johnny mnemonic type thing yeah yeah for sure um 
And that's really the only art of his I know. I didn't look up anything else. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't do our uh, patented, patented pre-research, um, probably because we haven't patented that. We only do our live-action otherwise, research. Uh, otherwise known as the concept of research. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so a really weirdo random, not a director, directed this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it it does have a quite a wild cast. We have uh, Keanu Reeves, um, Dina Meyer, who's also best known as Dizzy from Starship Troopers, um, Ice T, amazing, um, Takeshi Kitano, amazing, who is a director in his own right, like Fucking a real director, Renaissance man in his own right. Honestly, yeah, I mean, yeah he, he's he's re- he's really impressive. His his body of work, um, Dennis Akiyama, Dolph Lundgren, Henry Rollins. <laughs> Barbara Sukoa and Udo Kair, who is a consummate actor, man, like a so many titles under his belt alone. Yeah, it's it's just a very weird assemblage on this cast. Crazy. I mean, it all makes sense though, right? I think mm-hmm. you know this guy has um, his toe—not his toe. I mean, his whole body in the New York underground scene at this time, right? Yep. So he definitely yep. would have rubbed elbows with people like Henry Rollins, um, probably Udo Kier, just based on like. Um, the mm-hmm. kind of films Udo Kier made. I mean, he was in like um, The Blood of Dracula, which is very much um, a, a New York, um, you know, like exploitation film. He played Dracula in it. When when was My Own Private Idaho? That was like right, right around the same time. Uh, I believe it's right around the same time. Yeah, which, yeah, great. Yeah. Keanu's in that. Um, uh, Isn't Udo, Udo, Udo Kier in that? I think he is. I haven't seen it in a while. But I mean, you know, all those people, it just, they definitely mm-hmm. would have been in the same circles. Um, even Ice-T, I would assume, right? I mean. Yeah. Oh, Udo Kair is in My Own Private Idaho. He is. Okay. And that was that was 91. 91. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. So, same, same time. Yeah. Same time period. But Gus Van Sant, I mean, the director of that film would have known these kind of people too. You know, he's definitely from the art exactly. world. Um, exactly. Katano, I mean, you know, Katano's in the art world. He is an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a musician. So, you know, I think it would make sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's it just like so curious because like you have Dolph Lundgren who um, he's probably one of the more mainstream actors in this list. Um, certainly, obviously, Rocky. Yeah. Um, and he actually didn't act after this movie until the expendables in 2010 so he acted this was just his last theatrical release until the expendables so he's in other movies but they're mostly like direct to video um i don't know what was happening with his career i mean i guess he was just making a lot of b movies that you know just didn't Mm -hmm. get theatrical release um strange though considering he you know he's like you said, very mainstream actor at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe this movie put him off for a while because this <laughs> thing was a bomb. It was, that's true. Um, it's possible. It was, it, it was shot for 26 million. It only made 19 million back. And I think that's only a domestic too. I don't even know if this film was released internationally. I couldn't find those mm. numbers. It was, it did receive a Japanese release because um, it specifically had a different ending in the, in the Japanese right. version. Um, I, I haven't seen it. I, I, it would be, it would, it would be maybe interesting to see cause I actually kind of like this movie, but, um, that that's beyond the scope of this, of this episode right now. Yeah. Um, so it has a 13% run tomatoes. 
and a 31% audience score. Damn. I wish it was 37% audience score so that those two numbers juxtaposed would be leaked. Oh, that'd be appropriate. Which a, yeah. Which for, for all of our Zoomer fans out there, that was a thing from internet era back in the early aughts. Yeah. One, three, three, seven. Yeah. Yeah, it was big with like uh, the Halo community, I think. Yeah, <laughs> big with game. Well, not, not so much Halo, more like PC gamers, like Counter Strike or something. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right, 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 yeah. right, right. Because yeah. you would type it. Counter Strike. I I was terrible at that game. I played it twice. <laughs> My cousins <laughs> yeah. were super into it. I mean, that's all they would play. Like they were good, but I was, the, you know, as I said, Halo, just more of a console guy. I was, I was fucking terrible. The unofficial third member of our podcast, the 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 cousin that we don't like, I imagine was good at Counter Strike. No, because he uh, he likes Dum uh, Dum games. So amazing, amazing. <laughs> Even dumber games um, than I any, like. <laughs> yeah, Lego Star Wars, um, <laughs> the best game. Actually, Lego Marvel is better, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Jesus. Um, but yeah, we do, we do have a um, a review from Ebert here um, in the Chicago Sun Times. Of course, yeah, we don't do Ebert um, reviews often, but I just thought this one was so egregious, we had to do. <laughs> good, good. Fuck, fuck him. Um, he writes, Johnny Mnemonic is one of the great goofy gestures of recent cinema. A movie that doesn't deserve one nanosecond of serious analysis, but has a kind of idiotic grandeur that makes you almost forgive it. Based on a story by William Gibson, the father of cyberpunk fiction. It has the nerve to pose as a futuristic fable when, in, when in fact, all of its parts were bought off the shelf at the used movie store. Ebert continues, The problem is, Johnny Mnemonic uses the cyber visuals entirely as atmosphere. Take them away, and the plot could be a 1946B picture, right down to and including the concocted deadly deadline after a machine in the Newark airport scans him and, and, and announces, Neural seepage, fatal within 24 hours, seek medical attention immediately. The fiction of Gibson is much prized on college campuses where, I am tempted to say, its fans know more about cyberpunk than about f- cyberspace than about fiction. That's why it's puzzling that this movie is so dumb about computers. Where did it get the notion that the best way to get information from Beijing to Newark would be to hand it to a courier and have him travel the distance? Hey, a lot of people went to a lot of trouble to invent computers and modems and satellites just to make trips like that unnecessary. There have also been great advances in the art of cinema since this plot was first recycled. But that's another story. This guy is so... He's so fucking, fucking stupid. Fucking dumb. It's ridiculous how fucking stupid he is. Like, the fact that we like, allow this man to be, like, the preeminent, like, you know, film critic for generations yes. is, like, a big problem with America. <laughs> okay. His big, like, nitpick here is that, yeah, of course it's easier to send things over the cyberspace, but, like, the whole point of of these of these mnemonic like couriers is that it, it it's encoded in like right. you don't want to send it through cyberspace like right like, it's like, harder that, to that hack i mean because there's hackers who want to take all this information right i mean that's like the idea and, and and not only is that like literally the point but that's like thematically the point right like the <laughs> like old tech old tech integrated yes. with new tech to like I'm really mad about that. Yeah. I'm really yeah. mad. About that's this. why I, that's why I added this because I, I thought it would get, it would it would make your blood boil. Um, oh my god! Yeah, Jesus Christ! Um, yeah. I also love his dig at uh, college campuses uh, and college students. It's like, oh yes, you understand fiction better than college students. Uh, exhibit A: This review, you fucking moron. 
this that that's so annoying because that, that that's like a prager you dig at like yeah. oh the, the college campus lefties prefer cyberpunk to real <laughs> that was my half-ass ben shapiro <laughs> like oh my yeah that that's that's pretty much enra- that's enraging and that makes me like this movie even yeah, more yeah yeah exactly i mean to be fair there this movie isn't perfect there there, there are a lot of flaws um which we can get into now but i i, I will say like I like this movie in spite of its flaws and even because of them in some cases. Yeah. And you know, I think, I don't think the flaws are like the plot mechanics, the way that Ebert no. seems to dwell on. So, I mean, no. I don't know, get over it, dude. Gibson wrote the, the screenplay and he is a good writer. Like, um, despite his flaws, which we'll get into in a minute, <laughs> but like his, um, he, he, he's a very, he, he deserves, he deserves his literary reputation in, in my opinion. Um, I have read Neuromancer and I have read, uh, Burning Chrome, which is the short story collection that includes Johnny Mnemonic and, um, and yeah, no, he, he's just like a solid writer and the, the writing of this movie is, is not one of its faults. No. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, so to get to its faults. I really think, <laughs> yeah. I mean, besides just like a studio that hacked this movie to pieces, um, you know, Robert yeah. Longo wasn't able to get final cut on this film. Um, he didn't like the finished product. William Gibson didn't like the finished product. They're actually friends. Um, there's cool. an interview they did with Wired, um, and they seem insufferable. Um, <laughs> I would not want to be in the same Dupl- room with these people at all. Um, they talk about like Gibson was at. Gibson was actually in Austin the the other day. He was at Book People doing a sign in. I, I was busy. I couldn't go, but I, I I was going to and like just buy his book and be like, "Can you sign it with hashtag resist?" Oh my god! He's yes, like, that's right. He's a resistance. He's lib. a he, he, Yes, folks. He he's a he's a bougie wealthy resistance lib um, on Twitter. Yeah, folks. If you write a book, uh, make sure it does not become famous because this is your trajectory. You will become William Gibson. <laughs> He seems, I mean, like, God love him, better than the alternative, I guess, better than a MAGA guy. Yeah, for sure. Um, Just, like, there's this one part of the interview that really rankled me. They're talking about, like, hey, man, we make movies and art for, like, you know, like, the lower classes, you know, for, like, the dejected. Uh, And they're like, yeah, I I saw this Scorsese movie the other day, Age of Innocence. It's about rich people and has, like, really well-shot food. It's like, you know, no one makes these, these movies about, like, low lives anymore. And I'm like... I don't know. Like, can you go watch the rest of Scorsese's oeuvre, you fucking morons? Like, that's also like assigning aesthetic characteristics to class, which is like the definition of fascism. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, like the, the the definition of like fascist art is like the aestheticization of politics. Um, and like like that's one of Umberto Eco's like like definitions of fascism, and like to to say that like grimy gritty shit is real art it seems to miss the point entirely Mm -hmm. yeah uh it's kind of like the whole interview between them um oh my god but folks uh if you believe that scorsese makes um bougie films please watch uh boxcar bertha or alice doesn't live here anymore um Mm -hmm. they're they're not bougie so do that but yeah uh, we digress Yeah, yeah. You do you do have a really good recommendation here and I I agree this is a really good suggestion that you had like for the alternate universe version of this movie. Oh, yes. I was like, "Wait, what is yeah, it?" Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it should have been directed by Alex Cox, um director of Repo yeah. Man. 
Um, Hell yes, you know, that, that is that is such a good pick. Nothing against Robert Longo, um, but you know he complains a lot in any interview, um, in just any article that you read about his time with the production like oh man i wanted to make this like one million dollar arty film and like then i got a ton more money thrown at me and i had to make this movie instead um i don't know it's kind of like a boo-hoo it's like okay so you couldn't make the movie you wanted with more money i mean i get it studios suck like don't get me wrong i'll never like you know stand for a studio but like alex cox has had like a, a a filmography um, rife with these kind of films where like studios have tried to take his movie from him and like I don't know most of his oeuvre is good and also if, if Longo does have experience making um, he, he shot a music video a you few said? I think at least a few like that 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 seems like a hollow complaint because he, he should he should at least like know the score what's up when you engage with a studio at all so like the the charge that like being given more money while also having directed music videos in the past like that doesn't add up you know yeah it's strange i mean like i get it like you know these things are labors of love and then they're mostly taken away from you i mean the fact that there are two edits out there this is the edit that you know the japanese public saw and then the american public saw like that sucks right but i don't know just be alex cox be cool like don't be a dork yeah Yeah, don't be a dork that's and that's good advice for all the characters in this movie i would say (laughs) um so I have a confession to make. I'm I'm doing a thing for this episode. Um, I I didn't write notes uh, because it's thematically about memory and retaining long streams of complex information. Um, is it because I was in bed when I first started watching this movie and I was too lazy to get up and get my notebook? Um, yes, but it was it, it also happened. It also happened to dovetail nicely with the world building here. Um, and so on that note. Um. Yeah. Let's 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 get into it. The the story of uh, Johnny Mnemonic. Yes. Um, it takes place in. Actually, we should read the opening crawl because, um, as with all things Gibson, it is extremely prescient. Yeah. Um. Uh, I was. Uh, I was surprised. Um. I shouldn't be, but I I was by how prescient. Um. This opening crawl was. Um. So it begins second decade of the twenty first century corporations rule the world is threatened by a new plague nas nerve attenuation syndrome fatal epidemic (laughs) its cause and cure unknown the corporations are opposed by the low techers a resistance movement risen from the streets hackers data pirates guerrilla fighters in the info shit posters (laughs) Yes, <laughs> shit posters in the info wars. Uh, so they're MAGA, apparently. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the corporations defend themselves. They hire the yakuza, the most powerful of weebs. all <laughs> crime syndicates, <laughs> because these motherfuckers are weebs. They sheath their data in black ice, lethal viruses waiting to burn the brains of intruders. But the low-techers wait in their strongholds, like rats in the walls of the world. The most valuable information must sometimes be entrusted to mnemonic couriers, elite agents who smuggle data in wet-wired brain implants. So, like, Ebert must have skipped that part, right? Like, Ebert must not have seen that, because it just explains beautifully 
why the wet wired brain implants yep. exist, why the mnemonic curves exist. Like, I yep. don't get it. Like what, like, yep. does he just not like that idea? Because if so, like fine, but also like shut up. It, and it's, it, and it's not like it's an insignificant detail either. Like it's literally the inciting incident of the plot. Cause we meet Johnny Mnemonic and he, he explains like, Oh, my brain is, can do all this shit. And like, I, I run jobs for people, but it's like the reason for all the conflict in the plot. Right. Like it, it it's so connected. It's so inevitable. It's so like, it, like entwined with every part of the movie. It, it, it's just such a stupid criticism. It is. And even when he said like, Oh, it feels like a 1946 B movie that has like, you know, this like, you know, countdown clock to it. It's like, what is wrong with that? Like, I'm sure on yeah, his website it, and at the same time, well, he was he didn't have a website probably at this time, but like when he was writing for the Shadow Some Times, I'm sure he saw a ton of retrospe- retrospective 1946B movies that he liked. So yep. like, what's so yep. bad about that, dude? I don't understand. Like uh, the the concept of like a of a of a ticking time clock in the in the script that I I don't see how that's and like inherent to B movies. That, that's just like a a thing yeah. in a, in like all genres and all like all like highbrow lowbrow middlebrow it's it's everywhere it's like i'm sure at the same time i mean like run lola run comes out around the same time as this and like everybody fucking loves Mm. that movie and that movie's all about a ticking time clock like i'm sure he loved it i'm sure he would have no problem with it like i don't know he's a fucking moron i I don't know if we've said that enough but i mean we're probably gonna keep saying (laughs) it like roger ebert is one of the worst film critics you know i'm sorry he died the way he died that sucks but like he still sucks you you I, I don't even think you have to, like, give that preface because, like, of course, we're not saying that he as a person is, is like, evil or whatever. We're, no. we're, we're allowed mm, to shit know, on his opinion. <laughs> kidding. He's not evil. He's not evil. I promise. I don't believe that. We are allowed. But, yeah, okay. You, you believe that. But I, I will say, like, we are allowed to. <laughs> I am allowed to believe he has awful opinions and he did harm to film discourse in the way that, like, non-film people talk and think about film without thinking he's like a horrible monster yeah i mean so i um i've worked in movie theaters before because i'm that kind of person um obnoxious mm-hmm. is the word for it i think um and <laughs> uh, f- film student, film student yes, worked in movie theaters thing. um ha- no but the film student obnoxious. Yeah, yes. oh yes that, that too yes of course <laughs> um and uh, I had one coworker who like had super mainstream opinions about things, but he also had gone to film school and he thought like his taste was like esoteric and niche, even though like his, I think I know exactly who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. I think you might've met him. Um, but like his favorite film was just like Jaws or something like that. And I remember one time I was talking about Jonathan Rosenbaum, who is another Chicago mm-hmm. um, critic for Chicago reader and who I love a lot. We've mentioned him on the podcast. Um, he 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 is the Satan to Ebert's. Or no, he 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 is the Christ to Ebert's Antichrist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and this guy who I worked with is just like, oh, you're one of those people who likes uh, Rosenbaum. You know, I think uh, Ebert's the best. I'm just like, what? Why? Like, why? I like even in terms of like a popular film critic who was able to reach everybody. Like, there's better versions yep. of that person. But like, whatever. I digress again. I just can't do this. I can't do this. Fuck you, yeah. Roger. <laughs> Fuck you, Roger. But from beyond the grave, uh, he's actually he he still lives with us because he he's a ghost in the machine. He has a very strong online presence. <laughs> he does. Despite I mean, his own fucking website. Gibson predicted Ebert's fucking death and like his influence in this <laughs> in this. One. So yeah, I guess like in the literary world, um, especially when it comes to genre fiction, Gibson is is renowned for having um, made a number of um, technological and like 
sociological trend predictions. Um, he didn't coin the term cyberspace um, in Neuromancer, but I think in another story he coined it, and he um, he he certainly introduced the concept of cyberspace um, to the average person, um, and certainly popularized it. Um, the notion of like a computer world of interconnected computers that people log into and like there are things to be taken and things to defend against hackers who would take them it, it all starts with with gibson it all starts with neuromancer and and burning chrome to a lesser extent before it um the i think the idea of like so so these stories take place in a fictional universe called the sprawl which uh, the, the sprawl universe it's like the city is called the sprawl um very strong uh, Japanese influences, of course, that that in itself was very prescient. Um, the idea of like Yakuza being quasi legitimate sources of business for these like Japanese like mega corporations, um, like mega conglomerates that basically run the world. Um, the idea of um, people getting neural and physical implants, um, not something that Gibson introduce like created but like the way he incorporated them into the stories um and the way that like he predicted how they would in interact with everyday life like with johnny mnemonic as a character is all very prescient in my opinion yeah i think so um i have never read anything by gibson i don't read reading is haram uh but that's why <laughs> yes, i have nick on this podcast <laughs> I think you would like Neuromancer. Everyone should read Neuromancer. Everyone with like an interest in genre fiction should read that book. It, it's just so seminal. And it came out in 1984, which is like the perfect year mm. just for that oral connection. Yeah. Um, Have you heard of it, folks? But yeah. 1984. <laughs> 1984, George Orwell, folks, Animal Farm, <laughs> Socialism Bad, Communism Bad. <laughs> um. But yeah, one last interesting thing that I'll that I'll touch on regarding this book um that change in the production uh, one of gibson's most famous characters um the character molly millions um who i think she's what do they call her she's known as a razor girl oh. um she she's basically the the dina meyer character but another studio owned the rights specifically to molly millions so they had to change her that's wow really that's crazy yeah which is crazy and unfortunate but kind of appropriate right, i was gonna say um, thematically given the context, appropriate yeah. though that's incredible and molly's really cool she has um she has like uh sunglasses implanted over her face over her eye eyeballs so she can like see a heads-up display inside of her eyes and she has um kind of like lady deathstrike uh, la uh razors in her fingers nice um yeah, and, and she's called the Razor Girl. They call them samurai sometimes just because, like, of the Japanese influence. Right. Yeah, and, like, weeps. she zip, she zips around, and she has, like, heightened reflexes, and she's, like, the most badass character in Neuromancer. And she's the only character that's in Neuromancer and in Johnny Mnemonic and in, I think, the Neuromancer sequel, Mona Lisa Overdrive. Interesting. Yeah, yeah that sucks that uh, so basically, they couldn't put her in here. Yeah, that wouldn't mm -hmm. get her. Yeah crazy but um everything else everything else is pretty accurate to the book as far as or the story as far as i remember um hmm. yeah i should read it i will folks uh i will read a book for the first time in my life as should you <laughs> if you have not uh reading is fundamental as i've heard so inshallah <laughs> 
Um, so what are the things that are prescient about this movie, uh, specifically just even this opening crawl, the only part that we've gotten to at this point? <laughs> yeah. Um, 2021, uh, prescient, that is the next year. Um, cor- corporations <laughs> yes. rule our world as well as the world of uh, this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, low techers, uh, street resistance. I mean, you yep. know, come on. I don't, do I even have to explain it here, folks? Yeah, you should just to be pedantic. Uh, you know, Occupy Wall Street, all that kind of stuff, and just all the yep. all the different um, you know movements that have happened in the last you know two years, even across yep. the globe, right? Yellow, I mean, yellow yellow vests, yellow Hong vests, Kong, Hong Kong. Um, I mean, even the, there's a scene in this movie that looks straight out of Hong Kong. It yeah. does. I didn't even think of that, but like, and it's right near the opening too. Yeah, you're right. Well, and and it, that ties into the next thing that is prescient about this movie. Uh, they call it. Um, yep nerve attenuation syndrome uh nas well actually they don't call it nas the rapper but they call it nas and then they also call it the black shakes um but like hey you guys heard something called uh coronavirus like it's crazy (laughs) it's crazy folks we are we we are we are told that um nas is basically um the the explanation for it the official explanation is that like it's this onset of of nerve damage because there's too much information going around like the the human brain can't process it the human brain isn't equipped to deal with like the deluge of like schizophrenic presentation um overload that that we're given or or that the people in the in the sprawl world are given every day um and yeah i think that sets us up for the for the opening of the play yeah yeah so um but the, the connection between the Hong Kong prisoners, the nerve attenuation syndrome in the movie is that, I, I mean, I guess they wear like the medical, the surgical masks in the movie so they don't get the nerve attenuation syndrome. I don't know. Or just like they're just wearing the surgical masks but, uh, during a protest. But like that had big Hong Kong vibes for me. Yeah, I think it was two things. I think it was people are just ignorant of the virus and they don't know how it spread. So like people just do whatever they can to protect themselves however they can. And also there was like... Uh, like tear gas in that scene a little bit yeah. i think so there was just protection. right protection. yeah but is you know it was uh you know the pr- police brutality these you know these uh groups of protesters with with surgical masks on um i was like wow that's pretty crazy right. there's only one scene i mean you know we don't see it again um the low techers who we meet later are more of like a you know yeah. a, the peter pan wild boys types uh, what, what are those characters called in peter pan the the lost boys the, lost boys, the wild boys whatever <laughs> The Lost the Boys. Boys. They're kind of more like more like the Lost Boys later on, but yeah. Um, so yeah, we're, we're we're introduced to our main character Johnny. Um, he's a mnemonic courier, and basically he has he got some of his long term memory excised um, and put in its place. Um, he has this neural computer in his mind that he technically doesn't have access to all the time, but it can retain and remember. Um, like thousands and thousands and thousands of gigabytes of information and um, no, it corporations. Can't. That's the problem. It can't. It can, but, but right. he gets, he lands a really plum job that he basically, he, he needs to retain double his normal amount. So he's like, yeah, fuck it. I'll, I'll just get there quick. But um, that's a ticking time bomb. If he doesn't remove this information within, I think it's like three days, it'll overload his brain and he'll just, his brain will like implode. Yeah. Because I think in the beginning it's like, he has 80 gigabytes. He has like a, a duplicator so we can have 160 and then they put 320 in him, I think. Yes. Yeah. So he, he can he can retain X amount 
of information he he technically he temporarily beefs himself up so he can double that but then they're like oh it's actually quadruple yeah 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 um and you know it's pretty economic um you know the way the story's told um mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't waste um you know our time uh, dwelling on a lot which is nice i thought it was going to be more like blade runner where it's a lot more atmospheric and a lot more soak time spent soaking up the like the 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 setting yeah. and everything um but no it was a lot more plot driven than blade runner you know and maybe that's the like um you know the longo cut right is is maybe the more atmospheric who knows um but yeah. definitely not this one i mean this clocks in around 90 a little over 90 minutes i think it's i think it's exactly 90 minutes and that's so appropriate because this is one of the most the, the most 90s movies i've ever seen <laughs> um came out right in the smack dab in the middle of the decade um people are infatuated with this idea of this newfangled thing called the internet and there are some really like charming chunky um cgi imagery posted like like we see johnny when he when he jumps into the net like we see what he sees and it's like microsoft and Cardus tier graphics yeah. that you would like that you would see on your middle school computer in the in the late 90s and um I took I took a I took a screenshot and I tweeted it and it's just like it it's so funny because like we've been going through 80s nostalgia for the longest time and I've been waiting and I've been waiting for like 90s nostalgia to really like get going full time once people of our generation like become the horrible solace ad executives that like push up like put stuff out right hell yeah folks Um, (laughs) it's our time (laughs) it's our it's our time it's the it's the millennials time now. But yeah, basically, it it captured a lot of that like sentiment. It, it was very familiar because like the aesthetic of the of this computer shit reminded me of watching commercials as a kid. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my my grandfather would tape everything onto VHS. Um, so he was a mnemonic carrier. Yeah, he was a mnemonic carrier. Very true. <laughs> I mean, the man had a crazy memory. Um, but he he loved taping things from basically the eighties onward. This man taped like every movie that played on television um not even for himself just for like his grandkids and like the stuff that we see in this movie those kind of like chunky computer graphics is stuff i remember yes. like on those vhs tapes because you know he was taping on television so he'd have all the commercials yep. um and yep. these are you know some of these are commercials that were contemporaneous for me some of them were some stuff i had never seen before but it, yeah it just it definitely has that aesthetic to it um and it was great. I mean, I appreciate it. And I think it's where Longo's like artistry comes in as well, right? I mean, this stuff does look aesthetically pleasing. Um, maybe because we're hardwired, because we're nineties babies, but um mm-hmm. I mean I think there is like an artist's eye that like compose these things. I think that much is indisputable. I th- I think just what's left up to taste is if you like it or right. not. Right. <laughs> um <laughs> and we do because our our vaporwave poison brains do like it because like it reminded me of being, I don't know, like five year, five or six years old as I would have been at the time of this movie and like just staying up too late at night and, and watching a TV, a commercial on TV for like heartburn medicine. And there's just like weird <laughs> abstract imagery. Yes. <laughs> right. Like, Hell yeah. and um, it really gets that we kind of are living in the sprawl right now and in, in a weird way, like <laughs> in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, you all thought we were living in the zone from Roadside Picnic. Nah, we're living in the fucking sprawl. We're living in the sprawl from Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, what's what's really so moving on with the plot? Um, Johnny goes to he goes to Hong Kong, and that's where he picks up the the information for the job. Beijing, right? I think it's Beijing. Beijing, it, it, yeah, it's it's Beijing, and um, his handler, who is this movie's uh, fail child, yes. Ralphie. Ralphie, played by Udo Kair, who's a Everyone says like Bashemi has the buggiest eyes in Hollywood. It's Udo Kair. Yeah, that motherfucker has buggy eyes. I think like he's, I mean, I don't know. He might be a close second to Stu Bashemi. I mean, he's definitely like the sure. dark horse. I think of buggy-eyed actors. Um, yep. Okay. And I think a lot of people have seen him, but they don't really know who he is. But I mean, he's been acting yeah. forever. I mean, he's been in movies, you know, well before Steve Buscemi has been. Um, and he's, I don't know, German or something like that. Um, he's done a lot of um, foreign films. Yeah, he's, he is, is German. Is he German? Okay, yeah. I know he's done a lot of um, Lars von Trier films. Um, he's done a lot of uh, Canadian filmmaker Guy Madden films. Um, he's just, yeah, he's a really interesting actor. I, I just Googled how many films has Udo Kier been in. And the answer is at least 87. Damn. That's that's crazy. Uh, he was in Blade. He was in the original Blade. Oh, yeah. He's the he's the bougie, um, uh, like, Illuminati vampire. Hmm. Yeah, he plays that well. You know, like, not exactly yeah. the main antagonist, but, like, a secondary or tertiary antagonist. Yeah, it, it's, that's a very good way of putting it. Like, like, he plays, like, a good distant threat that is supplanted by a more immediate threat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, he plays Ralphie, uh, Johnny Mnemonic's handler. Uh, Ralphie spelled R A L F I, uh, which is which is a such a child yeah. name if I've ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he yeah, he gives him this you know this kind of job of a lifetime. He says, "Hey, this is yep. gonna pay a lot. This one, you can like retire, or get like I don't know." What was the thing he he needs like a certain amount of money so he can do something get another implant? I think he wants um to get his long term memory back. I think oh, that's what it is. Gotcha, gotcha. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the that the price of that surgery like went up. So he's like, you have to do this job. It'll get you yep. you know the the remainder. And I will say the class the class uh, elements of this movie are introduced pretty early. Like um jo- Johnny himself is like a, a bougie good boy. He he wears a suit the whole movie. Um, he stays in like a really nice hotel. He he has a really high priced escort. He he he's eating like nice foods and everything. And the reason we know all that, we'll get to towards oh, the yeah. end. Amazing. Uh, and one of the most amazing scenes. <laughs> um, but yeah, the his his upper class status clashes um, first immediately with the with the Beijing protesters that we see, and then also with some other characters later on. Um, but yeah, he, he meets these two other fail son dweeby scientists. Oh my God. They're amazing. I love them so much. <laughs> they were so schlubby and like awkward. Th- th- that's one of the things that like makes this like an art film, right? Like there are, there are non-actors oh, yeah. in, those, in these roles. Non-actors. They have, they have but to it's, be. And it's so good because it, because it works within the verisimilitude of, of their characters. Like they're. They're super nerd scientists who have no social skills. Yeah, and that's what that's that's what that's what we see. They're like, oh yeah, yo, blah 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 blah. When you go to when you go to New Jersey, you're gonna need this. You're gonna need that. Uh, are you sure? Blah blah blah. It's just like. <laughs> so basically, and they're watching the anime too. They're like yeah, they're projecting they anime onto a wall. <laughs> because because Johnny needs to see three sequence three random images in succession. And um, 
and that will be the the visual cue that will unlock that will either lock or unlock the information in his head for the computer to to, to extract or to put it put it in there right right um and they yeah, they get like a printout of the images and then mm-hmm. they have to fax them to um, somebody in Newark who then he would the, meet the des- up with. The destination, yeah. yeah. Um, and that was cool. Like you said earlier, like that mix of low and high tech, I, I really appreciated that. At first I was like, I was like, mm-hmm. this is weird. Why would they have fax? I kind of like, I, I devolved into Ebert brain there. I was like, oh, actually, uh, fax is very low tech and this is a very high tech world. Uh, why would that happen? But then I was like, no, this is just cool. Fuck it. And, and that's one of the things Gibson does well, right? Like he, he integrates current existing tech with future speculative tech because that is how the real world, how the real world works. We still rely on old tech every day, even amidst like the, the cutting edge stuff that we have. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me a lot. And probably this is just because I've been playing this game recently. Um, it reminded me a lot of like the cobbled together aspects of like everything in, in the Bioshock games, at least the first two Bioshock games. But where Absolutely. that is steampunk, obviously this is cyberpunk. Um, but like everything down to like their weapons, their tech, like looked like it was like yeah. fifty different like things that we actually used in the nineties, like broken apart mm-hmm. and put together. And another thing that like a, a writing technique that Gibson does that I think is really effective, like he just lists shit that's in rooms that people walk into. Mm. Like it, 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 it doesn't. He doesn't go overboard. He, 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 he's measured when he does it. But like. There's this one sequence in Neuromancer where like Molly Millions is like crawling through an underground tunnel, like connecting two buildings, and he just lists like this endless amount of junk, and it sets the mood so well because it's like the most random collection of stuff. But he's so detailed in the way he mentions all of it, hmm. it fe- it feels like the clutter of the real world. Yeah, you know, and and I think that's exhibited in this film as well. I mean, you know, like for sure, yeah. That, that's why I mentioned. Yeah, it. the hotel room that those the the scientist dorks. You know, I think that's like a very like well lived in space um mm-hmm. just the majority of sets that we see later on like um one of my favorite sets and this is jumping ahead a bit but i don't think it matters um there's like a, it looks like a mall it kind of looks like an 80s mall yeah um, it has like these mirrored pillars and there's like mannequins all around and some of the mannequins mm-hmm. are like in these gigantic piles that are shrink wrapped and like i don't know i just I, f- was... I figured that was in like the book or in one of his books or yeah i don't know and that's another prescient thing because like malls are dead now, right? Like, they're, they're dead or dying. And like people are just make like there are, there are, <laughs> I'm going to confess something. I, I, when I waste time, I watch a lot of questionable stuff on YouTube. One of them is this guy who explores malls. Yes. <laughs> like, Hell yes. I, uh, one of them is this guy, George F551, who, who, he he's an elevator enthusiast and he explores mall, like el- the elevators and escalators and malls. <laughs> and, um, I forced Lewis to watch some of this shit. I have watched so many and, of these folks. Um, <laughs> Nick found this guy because Nick worked at a mall uh, yes. printing t-shirts and he mm-hmm. one day Googled his mall or maybe you just searched yep. it on YouTube and then you found That's what I did. Yeah, this, I was like, oh, this guy's yeah. videos that he calls uh, rocking the gauntlet <laughs> at uh, enter mall name here. Um, and he speeds them yes. up for the most part, I believe, in the boring sections. Yeah. So the idea in the elevator enthusiast community, we are really off track, but this uh, is great. Whatever. It makes um, sense. It makes sense. The the I, I can connect it back to Gibson in a second. The elevator enthusiast community, they they 
literally are enthusiastic about elevators. They like film themselves riding the elevators and examining like the control panel, the ex- the certification, whatever. Um, and this guy, George F551, his idea of running the gauntlet is he, he goes into a mall or another big building and he tries to ride every elevator, escalator, and man-powered escalator, which are stairs. Stairs. Um, Amazing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly one time. So he tries to do a full circuit um, within a reasonable amount of time. And he, he did that at the Pheasant Lane Mall where I used to work um, up in Massachusetts. Um, anyway... All of which is to say, that's a very Gibson-esque thing, I think, like um, micro-entertainment of people filming themselves, which which we, which we is everywhere today. Like, like that is something straight out of the Sprawl universe, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking something like the Ice-T character, like he he filmed, he does like a vlog, basically. He does, when, at the yeah, end. that's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back to the plot. <laughs> so, Johnny... <laughs> For our brief digression into, into elevator enthusiasts, my, my sordid history with the elevator enthusiast community. We haven't even um, gone into like the first scene of this movie. Um, yeah, we did. We, we did. Where Johnny gets the information in his head. Yes. He's attacked by the Yakuza because yes. obviously corporate interests are always after this valuable information, as we've been told. Um, the Yakuza kill his contacts, but Johnny does does escape. And he... Um, he gets to yeah, Newark he, he, eventually. I don't know. They really don't show in the, the in-between. But I guess he does take a plane because like, he has a passport. Mm-hmm. He, ha- he has a fake passport. And um, he has this. He has a little gadget like the Ebert alluded to this yeah. scene, actually. Like the, the, the scanner scans him. It's like, oh, military-grade hardware detected. And then he has like a, a false like doctor's note that like set, that a doctor's note like program or chip that like lets him bypass that right right yeah and then that's when he scans his passport and it says something like uh, the the neural seepage you know seek medical attention blah 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 um and then he he goes on to try and find um the where his, the his contact, his contact or whatever yeah um also so chasing him is takahashi who's the the boss of the um the japanese conglomerate that is sending uh shinji who is the Yakuza leader after him. Um, because Shinji failed once or twice, Takahashi also hires um, Jesus. Amazing. Evil, oh, psychopathic best. Jesus, as played by Dolph Lundgren. Um, the Street that was Preacher, really interesting. that's his name, right? Yeah, Street Preacher. He has like a crucifix, and like the long end of the crucifix is like this combat knife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is the one thing that felt kind of really dated um, and not in like a charming way to me. Um, the idea of like, like, oh, like oh, this this religious fanatic who kills people because like that's what religion is at the end of the day. It, it felt really like discordant, I guess, like, like shoehorning this religious stuff into this movie. Yeah, I mean, even... Um, when Ice-T talks about the street preacher, so, like, we see the street preacher, like, coming towards the low-techers stronghold, yeah. and, like, they have these binoculars, and they're like, oh, uh, is that the street preacher? You know, he has all that tech in him, and then he says, Ice-T says something about, like, oh, you know, he thinks tech is God, blah, 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 and it's like, why is yeah, this like, Why is this line in here, guys? You could have skipped that, that, that was part. That, that was really dumb. Um you can do like religion clashing with high tech and it can make for some fascinating ideas, but like it has to be well thought out if it's like just a throwaway thing. Yeah. And and this was just like, so, so shoehorned in. Yeah. I mean, if they just sort of focused on, um, I think the more interesting aspect of this character 
which is that he is a mercenary who uh, does hits so that he can get more money for more implants. He's like obsessed with implants. His body is yeah. predominantly these uh, cybernetic implants. Um, and he figured the best way to get those was to be, be a contract killer. So like that in and of itself is interesting yeah. enough. You don't have to add the religious element. The the monk element is so out of place. And it, it, it feels very 90s, like 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 the 90s flavor of spiritual but not religious yeah. quote-unquote like that, that's what it felt like and then whatever it's it's a great performance it's really funny Dolph Lundgren is just like screaming about Jesus <laughs> and like the, the the light of God as he like strangles people yeah <laughs> yeah he does a lot of stigmata on people like he'll he'll stab yeah, people in, his, the, in the in the palms yeah yeah that, that's his move um so yeah he uh, Johnny gets to Newark as we said and he's like poking around for his contact um, oh no, he he goes to meet Udo Kier, Ralphie. Yeah, that's right. So he goes to the bar uh, that Udo Kier's at, and um, so Udo, Udo has like two bodyguards, um, these female bodyguards, and like he's yeah, also like I don't know if that's just a thing he does as well. Like he's a like a he has like a bodyguard business because this is when we meet um, uh, what's her face. Dizzy, Dizzy, uh, Dina Meyer. Jane. Uh, we meet Jane, Jane. Yeah. and she wants to be one of his, uh, his bodyguards. Yeah. Um, and and sh- we're told that we're told actually in kind of an economical way, like we're shown, we're not told that she has, um, she has implants, so she's like really skilled and she's good, but she also has NAS. Yeah, yeah, and that's the the, the black shakes the. The uh, nerve yeah. disease that is affecting um, the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when Johnny meets Ralphie, he's of course betrayed, and Ralphie's like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna." Ralphie ties him down to a to a to a bed, and he's like, "Yeah, we're gonna cut your head open, take take the information we need, and then I'll be the rich one." Ha ha ha. But Jane saves him. She swoops in for the last second because she overhears that like Johnny has this valuable shit in his head. Yeah. And this is where like Ralphie being a total fail son comes in like hardcore, yes. right? Like he has two yes. bodyguards. Jane drops down from the ceiling, takes them both out, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like just gets Johnny, you know, out of his, his shackles and they just like run away. Uh, and then Udo Kier gets fucking lacerated in three places um, by one yep. of the coolest weapons in this movie, the laser yes. whip. Yeah, Sh- Shinji the Yakuza boss's laser whip. Yeah, it comes out of his, like, his nail. He has like a he has a, a big fake nail so, on his thumb. It's so cool. And then uh, he pulls it out, and there's this like laser whip that retracts and everything. And I don't know it's how he gets like it, like, la- into three, but he gets like he he cuts him th- like three in three different places. Yeah. It, it's almost like a laser garrote that like yeah. can get even longer. Mm-hmm. It can um and what he what he does is he he slashes it like a whip. Um just he does it twice to to Udo. Oh, he's, that's to right. He, he yeah, it, it's just like a like a you wrote this like a Castlevania kind of thing. Like um he just whoosh, whoosh, and then he falls apart into three pieces. Yeah. This movie is pretty violent. Mm, pretty graphically violent in places. Yeah, it is. Um yeah, there's this part. There's like some other stuff later on. Um, there, there's the the street preacher kills, which can get pretty explicit. Yeah, it kind of looks funny though when Udo Kier is, is uh, cut into three pieces. Like he just looks like slabs of meat just like falling. 
Well, that's because the the laser obviously cauterizes the wounds. Oh, that's true. Not of dissimilar. Not dissimilar to a lightsaber. <laughs> a plasma blade of lightsaber. Um. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Jane and Johnny run are on the run. Um, and of course they they have the the the. They have the expected conflict. Um, Johnny's high class. Jane's low class. She's had to struggle for everything she wants, or everything she ever she ever needed. Um, we're also they elaborate on Johnny's mind virus that he has. Like he has to get this information out of his head within like now two days, or else his head, his brains will implode. Um, and th- that was cool. That was cool how they both had this affliction. Mm, like yeah. um, they had parallel um, fatal diseases that were that were hounding them. Um, Johnny logs onto the net, and through that, they're able to find <laughs> the mo- one of one of the more ridiculous characters, in my opinion, the um the Henry Rollins character. Amazing, yeah, Spider, Spider, who's he, he's he's Henry Rollins, just like basically playing the cyberpunk version of himself. Yeah, yeah, well, he kind of plays the Unabomber too. Like he just like yes. he rails against technology, even though like he yep. is like a a doctor who. I mean, ostensibly puts implants in people. Well, no, explicitly puts implants in mm-hmm. in in Jane's character. Well, that yeah, that's why she recommends that they go to him because they they unsuccessfully try to hack into the mainframe of the corporation that Johnny's trying to bring the information to. But when that fails and the Yakuza start chasing them, she's like, "Oh, let's go to my friend Spider because he he does favors for me and shit." Yeah, yeah. It also should be mentioned that when. Um, Keanu is trying to get onto the web. He like they're in this kind of like storage closet, and he's like, "Oh, there's the, mm. the the tech I'll need here." And he's like listing off these different pieces of tech for her. And one thing is called the Thompson iPhone, um, but it's not I P H O N E. It's E Y E phone E-Y-E. because it's like kind of this Oculus Rift thing that he puts over his yep. eyes. And that, God like, damn, th- th- it's crazy. I was like, holy it's, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good shit. Um, and yeah, I think this is when it's revealed that the CEO of the company that he's talking to is a virtual puppet that's being controlled by Takahashi. Oh, that was amazing. That was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Takah- um, so Takahashi Kitano just has his hands, you know, like you would for a sock puppet. And he's just flapping it. In this contraption. And then when he, once Johnny ends the call and he removes his hand, um, the, the cyber puppet on the screen like slumps yeah, over. Yeah. Like, he actually removed his hand from it, which is, which is really good. I hope they paid Katana well because like he's in this movie for like five minutes and he's mostly behind a desk, but like he's just great in every scene. He's, he is really good. Um, he has a cool sword. He has a Katana. Yeah, that's true. He has a katana, but he never uses it. Like no one ever uses it. I was bummed about that. He tr- he tries to, but it it breaks at the end. Yeah, yeah, that was a bummer. Um, yeah. so yeah, Spider, um, he tries to help Johnny, but like basically he would either kill him or the information wouldn't be usable. Um, there'd be right. a certain amount of degradation. So um, they have to hop into his turtle van and uh, go. <laughs> it really looks like the turtle van from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Turtle battle van, yeah. Yeah, but it has a uh, it has a spider decal on it on the side. Yeah, themed. Um, yeah. yeah, one of the like one of the vinyl decals that you used to put on cars. Yes. <laughs> I guess I guess this is Nick's uh, work history uh, episode, <laughs> but yeah, that's true. Um, 
so yeah they spider brings them to like the he's like okay come on, come with me like I, I have more tools at this location and the location is like a, a refugee hospital where we find out that spider is formerly a doctor who's doing what he who quit out of disgust over like the corruption of the medical industry um and, and is trying to help the poor and downtrodden however he can um he's a he gets kind of threatening towards towards johnny that i i thought that like spider would end up betraying them somehow but he doesn't yeah. really mm. no. um he just he's dies. like oh he's like johnny like i know what's in your head it's like it, it's the cure to nas because it was like a manufactured yep. disease and it, like no it i don't think it's a manufactured disease but the cure was deliberately retained for like almost a year at this point yeah they had some kind of like treatment um that would alleviate some symptoms but like they were literally holding back the cure for a while um which which is good because like it's not so conspiracy brained that it's like they created the disease and they made like the cure right Mm -hmm. but it's it's accurate conspiracy themed which is Diseases happen, and they're they're a natural part of life. But corporations and and capital interests in medicine, oftentimes do fuck with distributing treatment. Like the the very fact that epipens cost like o- like over a hundred dollars or something is is an example of that. Like they they should be free by rights. They they should not it should not cost that much to to get a life saving device to somebody. Right. Exactly. The prohibitive cost of like basically all prescription drugs um or or medical devices is just insane um but you know even if you think of like cancer right like i mean not that we could cure cancer i don't think there is no any moonshot cure right but like um other countries like cuba have tried and have something fairly um effective i think in terms of lung cancer i think it's lung cancer specific the thing with cancer is like the the cancer is like a a, a way that cells act and it's there is no one thing as can as cancer right. like, literally every type of cancer is different and, and would right. require different types of treatments but yeah um socialized cuba with their socialized medicine have some of the most effective treatments for specific types i want to say lung cancer yeah yeah so like there's a reason why we don't have that in america you know um it's a pharmacy industry burn it all down folks Cuba has a lung cancer vaccine, um, and many U.S. patients can't get it without breaking the law. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. So I mean, like that—that's where it's not a conspiracy theory. So yeah. I, yeah, I agree. If it was like, oh, they created this cure and blah blah, they created this virus and held back the cure, that'd be stupid. But no. Yeah, and and just really quick while we're on the subject, a, a nice counterpoint to these awful examples is um, the guy who discovered penicillin. Um, Howard Flory, he deliberately did not patent it. He he released like the information free into the world because it, he considered it uh, like unethical to patent the, I don't know, like the, the, the way to manufacture penicillin or, or the concept of penicillin. Hell yeah. Yeah. Nice. Which is, which is cool and relevant. Um, anyway, back to Johnny Mnemonic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so of course, at this point, the preacher preacher lundgren catches up to them and um there's a pretty uninspired fight scene between between jane johnny and spider versus the preacher and like i don't buy that the preacher is that much of a threat because like they'll 
they all just like jump on him and push him over. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, then, Jane even like throws like a nail at him. Like she yeah, throws a she nail hit, into his shoulder. Yeah, and like Johnny grabs his walking stick, like his preacher stick, and he just like hits him a couple yeah. times, like once or twice. <laughs> and then Spider's like, "Go, get out of here! I'll hold him off." And like, why? There's no need to. He's he's yeah. he's, he's, he's he fell over. You can all run away. Uh, yeah, this, and then this is where he does stigmata on uh, Spider. He gets uh, scalpels and he just shoves them into his hands. Um, against some medical equipment and he dies uselessly sacrifices himself um yeah <laughs> but anyway uh it's johnny and jane with like all of the kind of action sequences in this movie honestly like and this is, they're poorly directed i mean i don't think it's longo's strong suit he doesn't have a background in doing that no. and, and it could be difficult so like he th- the idea of the fight scene works it's just it, it just doesn't come across visually given what we see yeah, and I think that's the problem with literally every one of the action sequences. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, um, they Jane and Johnny steal or take Spider's truck, and they go to find their last hope. Um, what's the doctor's name? The the hacker that they go to. Uh, Jones. Joan. Yeah, they go. They go. They go to try to find Jones, who is uh, lives in a bridge, a converted bridge guarded by the low techs, including Ice T. Yeah. Leader. yeah and that's their base it's called heaven yep um and it's a bridge i don't know what bridge it's like a bridge out of newark i guess i, I couldn't it, figure it the, out wasn't it the brooklyn bridge i don't know that wouldn't make any sense because um, the yeah, brooklyn bridge true. doesn't connect to newark but i don't know there's like a newark bay bridge or something I'm sure know. some some giant set piece bridge yeah. um but yeah i see he's the leader of the low techs he has a he has an anarchy tattoo between his eyebrows yeah it's in the incredible. center of his forehead um, yeah I, he's I really it. basically it, just the character he plays from tank girl but he's yeah. not a kangaroo this time <laughs> um yeah so the, johnny and jane they they're taken in by the low techs because jane grew up with them um they have a really passionless kiss scene and then they look up and ice is standing there he's like we have different rooms if you want to do that oh yeah <laughs> 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 he's great i mean he should be yeah, he's good movie. Yeah. i love it he's a good actor yeah he, he just he he's also amazing on twitter final yes. level <laughs> everyone follow him <laughs> uh, also you and know then, good music career not like his new stuff but um yeah you know the stuff he would yeah. have been making contemporaneous to this film um and then we meet J- the hacker jones who is a cybernetically enhanced dolphin yes that lives in a tank and that used to be used to work for the navy to like hack nukes like nuclear subs yeah (laughs) because of the echolocation right um and and the navy did have a history slash does have a history using um you know aquatic mammals for Mm -hmm. not warfare purposes but stuff like figuring out where mines are and like delivering stuff um you know they they never tried to do like hey dolphin go like you know we're gonna put a bomb on a dolphin and it's gonna be a suicide bomber they never tried something like that um, yeah i mean they they tried shit like that in world war ii like they tried to like there, there are so many harebrained crazy like animals and like schemes that the army tried to do with animals like like they there was something like they tried to like develop this type of delayed fuse bomb and they would attach them to bats and they hope the bats would like fly into like german airfields and then blow up 
<laughs> it's some crazy shit. It, it's some crazy shit. Oh yeah. my god, you gotta love it. Um, there's a film. I think it's from the '70s called "The Day of the Dolphin," which is about um, yeah this hypothetical um, program by the Navy where they do actually try and train dolphins to like kill people um, during the Cold War. Um, mm. But uh, as far as we know, folks, that didn't happen in um, the timeline we live in. But would you put it past the CIA and the Navy? No. 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 Uh, one one rather macabre detail from the book that didn't make it to the movie is that um, Jones is a heroin addict. The I Dolphin read that. The is a yeah. heroin addict. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, and I think it's like implied that the Navy did that so that these animals would be loyal to them. Like it was a way of ensuring their loyalty to the, to the, to the military. Um, so they, in the book, they have to, they have to procure heroin. They have to, they have to give him his dose before he'll hack for them. Oh my God. <laughs> oh man. Which is wild and amazing. I bet um, that was cut out. I bet they actually filmed scenes with dialogue around that, but they had to cut it out. Just like Ice-T being like, yeah, man, he, he just needs to shoot up every like every so often. <laughs> yeah, like what do they do? Do they just throw the heroin in the tank, or do they actually like inject him with heroin? No, they they stick him up. Okay, they stick him up. Wow. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. So Shinji, um, the Akuza boss, does catch up with them. Um, Takahashi also comes out on his own because like he he just needs to get the shit done himself. I guess he's desperate because he he knows Johnny's on a short fuse at this point. Um. And the Yakuza attack the Lotex, and it's a pretty cool battle, even if it's shot rather uninspired. Um, the Lotex use crossbows appropriately enough versus the Yakuza, who use like guns and throwing stars and the laser whip. Yeah. And, and a bazooka. Yeah. There's that one yeah. woman who shoots a bazooka had- like three times into their base mm-hmm. and like short circuits the power and stuff like that. Yeah, so like while they're trying to hack Johnny, he he's he they have to cut it short because like shit's going down. Um Takahashi attacks Johnny. He uses the sword briefly, but then he's killed by Shinji. Yeah. Yeah, he's shot a few times in the back by Shinji. And I think the reason Takahashi comes out is because like there's that ghost in the machine, the like the CEO of Pharmacon, the company that the, he works for, who's been talking to him. The dead CEO who's of the company, which is a very good, which is a thing from, I think it's from Neuromancer that they incorporated into the story. Hmm. Um, yeah. Who's, who's been secretly aiding Johnny. Yeah. Cause she, um, she doesn't like what her company has become. Right. So she's been aiding Johnny. She's talked to him. She's talked to Takahashi. Um, she's like an AI actually, right? Like they, they uploaded her like sentience into an AI in Zurich. No. Like she's also a Zurich citizen or something like that. They say at one point. I, I think what they do is they copy her brain and she died years ago, but like the, her ghost is still living on. Right. Okay. So like the singularity, basically everything that every, um, yeah, tech bro in, in Silicon Valley wants to do with themselves. Yes. Yes. She, 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 she is like the Bezos, Peter Thiel, Elon Musk character, right? Yeah. Except, she, except she's good, but there can be no good CEOs. So, well, I think this I think this introduces a unique idea because the CEO died and she was probably bad because she was a CEO. But the ghost that the the replicate the replication of her brain developed its own sentience and its own conscience and became good independently of the original. So what you're saying is we actually do want the singularity only for tech bros, not for the rest of us, so that the tech bros, their, you know, AI cobbled together brains will realize they're terrible 
and maybe yes. those we, computer versions will try to undo all the terrible shit they did in, during their lives. You unwittingly described a major part of the end of Evangelion movie, um, <laughs> which I can tie back into this movie because Shinji is the main character from Evangelion, and Shinji is also the Yakuza boss's name. That's amazing. Wow. Yes. <laughs> wow. I'm glad I'm that smart. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Uh, you're you're roughly as intelligent as every we put together, which is true. <laughs> um, I'll take so yeah, it. There's a fight scene between Shinji and and Johnny. Um, it ends up they're hanging over the cliff of the bridge, like they're hanging over the edge of the bridge. Of course, like they're just hanging onto like this rope netting, and um, Johnny cuts off the Shinji's own hand with his own laser whip, which is pretty badass. Yeah. Yeah, and they're in one of those um, shipping containers, actually. Mm. Like, they fall through a shipping container. There's some netting they're holding onto. Um, and then, so, like, another shipping container falls, like, as Shinji's falling. So, Shinji not only dies, like, I think with his hand cut off plus decapitated, but also, like, a, a flaming, like, shipping container, like, falls onto his body while, like, they both hit the, like, the ground of the, or the water at the same time. <laughs> And do, don't they say something like your head is conscious for like five seconds after it gets cut off? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so like, <laughs> not only does he get his head cut off, but he and he lands in the water, but he's there to be pulverized. He, he's yeah. conscious to be pulverized by it. Incredible. Oh, yeah. It's a, yeah. I mean, so is the concepts in like each action sequence I think that are really interesting, and yeah, they could be well composed and well choreographed, but I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a problem with the editing too. Who knows, right? Like, yeah. maybe Longo knows what he's doing, but the editors and the producers fucked him over even there i don't know yeah. it's possible but then we get to the real final boss which is the preacher finally catches up to them oh that's right and he, he tries to kill them um how does he die oh yeah um he gets jane zapped. no jane grabs um the device the speaker device that that jones uses to communicate through every right. location yes yes and yes. she turns up the volume and like it melts his brains because the because the dolphin Jones just screeches so loudly, and that it's amplified through the device that like it melts his brains, and then Johnny's able to push him into the wires where he burns, he blows up basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's pretty interesting because it's also it's kind of implied that not only is his brain being fried, but like all the implants in his body are being fried yeah. as well. Like there's a little bit of blood like that spurts out of his body in certain places yeah. and that you kind of see those, those pools of blood well up on his body um, before yeah. he gets, you know, immolated basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah it's, it's a cool, it's a cool death. It's like Rasputin. That, that's the Rasputin death and he's yeah. wearing the robe and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And he has a big beard too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just, it's like, he looks cool, but again, like the whole religious element probably didn't need to be there. Completely wrong. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then Jones helps Johnny hack his mind and it's a super like, talk about Encarta Encyclopedia or like, um, the sequence also reminds me of the, the Dire Straits Money for Nothing, uh, music video. Oh, mm, yep, yep, yep. Where it's the, it's the blocky guy doing things. Cause we see like this projection of Johnny, like, like, like there's a screen and then, um, Ice-T and Jane can watch what's going on inside cyberspace. Yeah. The world can watch. Cause aren't they projecting it? Like the low techers, they project images they are. into everybody's yes. like TV and all broadcasts. Um, and they're, they're projecting him hacking into the Pharmacon database. There's one funny part where, um, Johnny walks up to the visual representation of the, um, his avatar walks up to like the, the ice, the, the 
ice program that would like zap him or zap any intruder. Yeah. And he just like a mirror image of him appears beneath his feet. And, and Jane's like, Oh, what's, what's going on? And I see he's like, he's duplicated himself. That's what you need to do. If you're going to hack some ice. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the ice program zaps the original Johnny and Jane's like, Oh my God. And I see he's like, he's like, don't worry. It just got the duplicate. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that was great. And then as this is happening, like intermittently, we see like this like CGI dolphin that's like coming towards him to the rescue. <laughs> Which reminded me of that that Sega game, Echo the Dolphin. Echo the Dolphin, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it comes in and, and Johnny, he grabs like the representation of the data from his own brain and he, he beams it up to Echo who hacks it and like sends it all across the world. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah they save yeah. the day. Yeah, and that's and it's just the data that says like that Pharmacon um, had a cure and withheld it and blah blah blah. It's also it's also the cure itself too. That's right. Yeah, it is you're right. It is the cure. Yeah, it's all this information. Um, yeah, and those visuals are cool. Kind of just like you know the microscopic organism. You know, like colorful images you'd see in like mm-hmm. a medical textbook and like some other weird data and stuff like that being projected to the world. Like, um, you know. We we also get um, across the bay. I think in like I forget what the, what the actual city is called, but it's like the nicer part of the city. Um, the pharmaceutical com- company it blows up right after they transmit the data. It's kind of like the end of Fight Club. Um, and that's exactly what I was thinking. Like I was like, yep. this is this is like four years before Fight Club, and it's like the yep. exact fucking visual of the last shot. Because it, yeah, it's, it's Johnny and Jane, and they kiss, and they look out over the city, and then it blows up. And I see he's like, yeah, we like we strike, we struck back or yeah. something. It's wild. I was like, yep. I mean, it doesn't like you know, it doesn't fall like the buildings in Fight Club fall. It's just it's on fire. Yeah. But like, I mean, it's it's so same, fucking same idea. Similar. Yeah, yeah, it's so similar. Um, but I, you know, I'm not saying it's a ripoff, but like it's close to yeah. a ripoff, folks. Very close. <laughs> Fight Club, that is. Yes, Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know, yeah, I mean, Polanyik, even his book, I'm sure, was written after '95. Uh, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, let's look. Uh, let's do some research. But that's it. The movie kind of just ends. Um, oh, it was Nate Britton '96. Oh my God! Yeah. So damn. Chuck Palahniuk just ripped that fucking shit off then. Um. But yeah, that's Johnny Mnemonic. It it just kind of ends. We get the sense that Johnny's gonna be with Jane, and um, oh, we skipped the, one of the best scenes, the Johnny line reading part. Oh um, yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just really quick, the lo- right when they're under the low tech uh, heaven hideout, uh, Johnny is just like fed up with everything, and he delivers this speech. Yeah, he's like, I don't. People like me don't do this, and like this is the most class conscious scene because Jane's just looking at him like he's an idiot. He's like, people let me like do this. I need nice stuff. He screams. <laughs> He's like, I want filet mignon, an expensive German beer. I want a thousand dollar a night hooker. And I want nice, I want my suits pressed the way they do in the Beijing hotel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's a, you have to look it up on YouTube, folks. It's, it's yeah, an amazing it's delivery. Great. He's just like on this like dirt mound. And it's yeah. like a it's like a worm's eye view shot, and he's just like yelling about all this stuff, like kicking and <laughs> yes. screaming, and it's it's great. Apparently, that was ad lib too. Really? Shit, I love Keanu. I, I've I've seen it mentioned that that might have been ad libbed, and I choose to believe it. I choose to believe it. 
We love you, Keanu. Come on the show. We love you, Keanu. Good job. <laughs> um, so workers of note, who do we have? So we have a bunch of people kind of in the visual effects department, um, mostly like animation and stuff here. So I'll just read them off. Um, yeah. We have Artie Romero, animator, uncredited. Uh, actually, all these are uncredited. So special kudos to everybody we're about to list here. Uh, Artie Romero, animator, David Emerson, optical camera, John Fernitas, optical effects, Mark Tereski, optical effects, John LaSavage, visual effects cinematographer, Tim Miller, visual effects artist, Carl Rad, digital artist, and Tim Scannell, rotoscope artist slash camera operator. Um, as we said, the 90s, you know, Encarta, um, blocky, um, yeah. you know, digital CGI type imagery. Very, co- very colorful, too. Very colorful. Um, it's just it was cool. It was well done. Um, mm-hmm. And I assume these people all did it. So kudos to them. Or they did a portion of it, obviously. Probably them and 50 other people did it. But um, Especially for the time, too. It was probably like many more people than just this. Yeah. Yeah. But. I don't know. It looks cool. So, yeah, in 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 a weird way, in a kind of like a, a rubberose manner, like yeah, that was the contemporary look of CGI stuff at the time. But like now, that aesthetic is kind of being re, re, repurposed and repackaged by like vaporwave YouTube imagery and like sounds and in, in the in the art that's created. So like it did predict the future, but it also right now the future is like looking back at the past and kind of recycling it. And I just think that's like a fascinating interplay. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, it sucks that like so many fascists have kind of taken vaporwave for their own. We should take it back. It's might be hard to, I don't know if it's worth it. I have, I have, I have quite a few lefty mufos who are like, we're, we're making like socialist vaporwave and like we, we can't let the fascists have it. Like this one guy, um, I will look him up and mention him in a second. Um, he he specifically makes leftist socialist vaporwave art. Yeah, I think it's worth doing, honestly. We just can't say, oh, well, the fascists have it now, so we can't do it ever again, right? I mean, besides, like, genocide, that's the thing the fascists can keep. We don't want to do genocide, folks. <laughs> but, like, we want to also stop them from doing genocide. Uh, but vaporwave, we can take it back. We we can we can do that. Um uh, I will mention my my friend a marmot underground. His Twitter is um, at underscore a nunnery, like off to a nunnery with you. Gotcha. Um, he does he does self described on his uh, profile does bad vaporwave, but I think it's pretty good. And um, it's always like Bernie Sanders shit or like socialist messaging. So it's not just for fascists. Nice, good. No, I agree for sure. Okay. Um, so broke recommendation. What have we got, Nick? Um, any cyberpunk fan who, who just wants to find like, again, keeping it with this theme of like, what is future? What is past? How do they relate to each other? How does past inform the future? How does future inform the past? If you want to see like a delayed recreation of the original cyberpunk story, like, like this is a good depiction of that. Um, cause the story of course was published, um, Johnny Mnemonic was originally published in 81 um three years before neuromancer and of course the movie was made in or released in 1995 so like yeah like that was an unwitting 
that was a ghost theme from the machine of this podcast, right? Like Ooh. we didn't even pl- we didn't even plan it, but the theme of this episode, I guess, is like the past creates the future, which also worked to create the past, Con- like all at the same time. Yeah, it's and like so they it, say in the theme song of Samurai Jack, uh, "Back to the Past." <laughs> I just watched the last season of that. It, it ends pretty well. They, I'm, I'm glad that Tarnovsky was able to go back and and make and like finish the series. Hmm, nice. I should check it's, it it's, out. It's, it's, it's worth watching. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, but yeah, so peop, cyberpunk fans who want some high flute and bullshit like that I just alluded to, um, this is one of the the original cyberpunk stories. It's certainly one of the things that codified a lot of the the con, the common aspects of cyberpunk. Um, this is this movie is a fairly good. Um, recreation of that i bet um, i bet it is yeah i agree with that so even though i don't know much <laughs> okay, about okay. it but sounds good thank, thank you Liz. uh what what do you have for your woke recommendation for our woke recommendation i would say if you are a fan of the film tank girl which mm-hmm. came out the same year 1995 uh, i think you will also like this film um yeah. this film isn't as like zany as Tank Girl is. Um, Tank Girl's a different kind of punk. It's not cyberpunk, just more as like kind of grunge, like crust punk, I would say. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the plot, it's very similar for the movie. I mean, the movie's about like a corporation that controls the Earth's main sources of water and Tank Girl and a bunch of resistance fighters in the form of uh, anthropomorphic kangaroos, one played by Ice-T, named T-Saint, have to fight against Malcolm McDowell, um, Alex from A Clockwork Orange. So um, it's worth seeing. It's I would say it's like definitely more like a a, a poppy, colorful type film. Um, There's a great uh, dance sequence uh, at one point, kind of almost like a, a... Busby Berkeley uh, musical almost mm. um, but yeah I think if you like that film you'll like this film um, I, I do want to see this movie unfortunately we can't do it for this show because I think it's too much of like a cult classic it's way too much of a cult classic yeah um, but yeah I like that yeah it, it almost seems like um, like the bubblegum pop version of Johnny Mnemonic which is like the the sad down tempo alternative rock version of tank girl yeah i think that's perfect i think that's it (laughs) that's true (laughs) thanks (laughs) um yeah and for my bespoke recommendation um lefty fans of cyberpunk kind of like how i'm a lefty fan of vaporwave but like fascists are taking it um i think cyberpunk is being taken by the neo-libs um specifically william gibson who's like a huge hashtag russia interference resistance lib brain um but we can't let him have it folks we we cyberpunk is like inherently leftist i would say the the class and political themes of cyberpunk like they 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 are marxist they are they they do feature heavy class analysis and like yeah there's like cool surface level oh like i'm gonna upload my computer and have a a long coat and like like this cool black long coat and have glasses and a cool gun and be a hacker but like b- deeper than that it's there are so many resonant themes for like what is it what does it mean to be human what does it mean to be human when your body is commodified and we can't we can't let them have it folks yeah for sure we cannot let william gibson the man who created cyberpunk have cyberpunk because he's fucked it up <laughs> <laughs> well 
what was that tweet he said about oh um, about Neuromancer yes. recently? Uh, so on February 15th of this year, 2020, the year of our Lord, um, he tweeted, if the characters in Neuromancer vaped while muttering into smartphones to their criminal collaborators, I'd feel a hot, whole lot more prescient. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, like, dude, just put it aside. Like, <laughs> just... I actually did like a, a, a search for... Uh, William Gibson and the word prescient and like it's a thing he replies to a ton of people who like call his work prescient and he's just like that's not prescient (laughs) it's like I I I don't know if he's doing some weird like false humility thing or like uh, or false false modesty thing you know right um but it's like aggressively going after people who misuse that term like like I know that a lot of people use that term for your work, but like that's not your word, dude. Like that right. depression isn't like yeah. the William Gibson branded word. <laughs> no, he made that one too. Cyberpunk, cyberspace, and prescient. It's crazy. It wasn't well, in the lexicon before that. <laughs> oh, to be clear, like cyber like like with all genres, like cyberpunk has a long and complex history. That that I don't know myself, but like Gibson is probably the guy who most made it popular in the modern era. It makes sense. Just, just, just like as a point of pedantry that I know will be called on. Oh, oh I'm sure. Right. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. like, does anybody coin anything really? Right. It's like the work of like 50 people who came before them, and then like you, yes. you kind of put a like, just like a phrase onto that thing. Right. That's kind of and it. like, and like Philip K. Dick was writing in like the 60s and the 70s, and um, a lot of his work is like proto cyberpunk. Right. Yeah. So it's like you know what. William Gibson, it's not your word. It's our word. All of this stuff is ours. It's everybody's. It's the collective unconscious now. Sucks to be you, William Gibson. Go write about Putin or whatever you feel like doing. Um, the the phrase itself was coined by author Bruce Bethke um, in a short story called Cyberpunk that was written that was um, published in 1983. So he beat Gibson by a year. Um, this is just a really interesting quote, and um, I'll read it really quick. Uh, Bethke says he was ma- he he made two lists of words, one for technology, one for troublemakers, and experimented with combining them variously into compound words, consciously attempting to attempting to coin a term that encompassed that encompassed both punk attitudes and high technology. He described the idea thus: the kids who trashed my computer, their kids were going to be holy terrors, combining the ethical vacu- vacuity of teenagers with a technical fluency we adults can only guess at. Further. The parents and other adult authority figures of the early 21st century were going to be terribly ill-equipped to deal with the first generation of teenagers who grew up speaking, who grew up truly speaking computer. And if that doesn't describe um, B or or 4chan, I don't know what does. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, honestly, that's yeah. pretty damn prescient, folks. Um, but yeah, that is our um, our Johnny Mnemonic episode. That was my first memory only episode <laughs> and I, think, <laughs> I think that contributed to some of the meandering um more meandering than usual uh tone folks if you're listening to us for like i don't know terse shit for cohesion i don't know like it's not gonna find happen. a new show yeah find, find a, new a new show, show. i don't know like get out of here we're punks here in the cyberpunk world find a new show yeah um join us next week for a continuation of cyberpunk month where we uh review <laughs> robocop 3 actually the movie we have coming up is kind of very cyber and punky is it i 
I mean, we can't tell people Maybe. what it is, but I mean, I guess I would say like probably cyber. I don't know, like punky exactly, but like yeah, that, that's uh, there. I can't say what I was thinking because that, that would give away the movie. But like yeah. there, there's an element to Neuromancer that whatever. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah. I would See say you next like, time, folks. <laughs> yeah, let's. That's it. Bye. <laughs> Bye. What the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? You know, all my life, I've been careful to stay in my own corner. Looking out for number one, no complications. Now suddenly, I'm responsible for the entire fucking world. And everybody and his mother is trying to kill me. If, if, my head doesn't blow up first. Maybe it's not just about you anymore. Listen. You listen to me. You see that city over there? That's where I'm supposed to be. Not down here with the dogs and the garbage and the fucking last what's newspapers blowing back and forth! I've had it with them! I've had it with you! I've had it with all this... I want room service! I want the club sandwich. I want the cold Mexican beer. I want a $10,000 a night hooker. I want my shirts laundered. Like they do at the Imperial Hotel. Tokyo.